everyone, and welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven. That is my amazingly beautiful wife, Liberty. We're a married couple with different interests, and we try to bring each other into our hobbies through the latest news in both books and sports. And today is books. Thank God. Had enough of those sports. Yeah. If we sound a little weird, we both caught a cold at the same time, so gross. And when we say we both caught a cold at the same time, Liberty got sick and then got me sick, more than likely. And then I got sick again from him being sick. Yep. It's great. Here we are in all our glory. I just love being married. We share things. It's great. Like germs. But moving away from our health, let's go into the book news of the week. Judy Bloom's novel, Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, is being adapted. And they've already found their main character. Abby Ryder Forston will play Margaret Simon. And the book tells the story of a sixth grader who is going through puberty. She also had a lot of questions about the universe and growing up. The book was released over 50 years ago, but still has plenty of lessons for both boys and girls. Rachel McAdams will be playing her mother, and production is set to start in April. I was going to ask, why would they, like, is it like a drawing? God just randomly picks out of a hat, like, Margaret. Like, you can talk to God. I know that's not what it's about, but, like, it'd be funny if that was, like, the The title is probably just about a girl struggling to, like, figure everything out. I don't think it's actually about how you talk to God. Is more the the thing, I think. Yeah. It's an interesting title. I've never read this. I've never wanted to read this, but it is, like, well-known and well-loved. Yeah. So... I like the woman who's playing the mother. We need to do like a tag where like random book titles and what you think they're about just based off of the book titles, which would be hard for me because then like, I, I feel like it'd be funny to hear my answers, but then for you, you'd be like, I already read that book. And I'd be like, man. I know what this is about. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But speaking also of another adaptation, America Ferreira will direct the adaptation of I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter. The book by Erica Sanchez tells the story of Julia Reyes, who is the daughter of a first-generation Mexican immigrant. Julia and her parents aren't always on the same page, and it's a great story about love, loss, and family. You've got Linda Yvette Chavez writing the screenplay. I've heard about this vaguely on the booktubes. I vaguely remember what this is about, but I haven't actually read the book. I know nothing about it, but it sounds good. But you've got people of color specifically. You've got Latinx people who are working on this. So I like that they're going in and doing it that way versus just taking a bunch of white people and making this because like it's specifically says Mexican daughter. So like if you don't have any sort of representation in who's making it, you're not going to have any representation in the final product. Without a doubt. Like when Sia made that film about autism and everyone's pissed off now. I don't know about that one. Well, Sia made a film about autism and it got everyone real angry. I guess I'm like outside of the world of things on that subject anyways. It's a very ableist film, but that's neither here nor there. I guess I could dive into the sort of drama coming out from books this week, which was that six of Dr. Seuss's books will stop being published because of racist and insensitive imagery. It was a choice made by Dr. Seuss Enterprises, which is the business that preserves and protects the author's legacy. The six books that are affected are And to Think That I Saw It on Mulberry Street. Never read that. If I Ran the Zoo. Never ran, read that one. McElliot's Pool. Never read that one. On Beyond Zebra. Nope. Scrambled Egg Super. 
Nope. And the Cat's Quizzer. Okay, so literally none of the popular books. Right, that's how I feel about it too. And the decision was made after the company had listened to feedback from their audiences, which included teachers, academics, and specialists in the field. But within hours of announcement, Dr. Seuss books filled more than half of the top 20 slots on Amazon's bestseller list. So everyone just went out and started buying Dr. Seuss books on Amazon. It's come Some to- of which were the ones that are affected mostly they're just the regular ones people already know about <laughs> right. and buy all the time anyway. Like, listen, if Go Dog Go was getting axed, I'd be up in arms. But, like, they, these are all books that nobody's read. Well, I'm pretty sure some people have read it, but it's not the popular ones that everyone remembers Yeah, from their it's childhood. not Cat in the Hat. It's not Go Dog Go. It's not Green Eggs and Ham. Right. You know. And, like, the first time I heard about it was people on... Facebook were making comments about how this is cancel culture. It's not cancel culture when the people who take care of the trust and the everything estate. to do yeah. with the estate are making the decision. Yeah. Like, unless you're considering that them canceling themselves. Like, this isn't considered cancel culture. Right. It's just people being sensitive to the fact that these were written in a different time and a different situation. And they weren't okay then, but they're especially not okay now when we all should know better. Yeah. And so, like, the first time I saw anything about it, it was people being outraged without actually having read it or understood why this is happening. Yeah. They're just assuming that suddenly publishers decided to do this. And the publishers didn't want to do this because they want to make money off Dr. Seuss. It's the estate making the decision. Yeah. And, like, it's almost to the same level of, like, the potato head thing that's going on right now. Like, I don't know. It's just... With with me, I'm like, I had friends that had Mr. Potato Heads, and I had friends that had Mrs. Potato Heads, and I can tell you with certainty as children, we put them on different potato heads. Like, I had a woman, Miss Potato Head, with a mustache, you yeah. know? Like, it's like, this, this wasn't a new thing. Kids have always done this. Like, yeah, it's yeah. not like, it's different, you know? So, I, I, I don't get it. Like, but, like, I really don't care about the potato head thing and the only thing I care about this Dr. Seuss thing is if people who are people of color or these people who were targeted by these books are having problems with these books then they should be allowed to say that and then we should take care of that. Yeah. Like I personally have never read those books and I'm never gonna read those books now but like I don't really get mad about it. Yeah. Like, I'm not affected the way it seems like a lot of other white Americans are affected by this emotionally. Yeah. The irony is it's like whenever something like this happens, it, it seems like the reaction is buy as many things, support this cause as possible. And it's like, that's not going to change the situation, but the estate thanks you. Yeah. Like, they made bank. Yeah. Well, and on top of that, not only are they making money from the people who are like, now we have to support them. But they're also seen with a better public relation than they were previously by the people who were affected by this or the people who care about the social side of this. Yeah. Because they do. So, like, they win all around. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, there are how many other Dr. Seuss books you can go and buy? Like, come on. It seems like they're endless, to be completely honest. But... You also had this week former Strand bookstore workers protesting against union busting tactics by the store, specifically the store owner, Nancy Bass Wyden, who has been keeping the store understaffed for months instead of rehiring union workers once she received loans to help the store stay open. 
There were employees who were hired in October but fired during Christmas week of 2020, and tactics like these have led to some of the workers being fired a total of three times in 2020. It really bothers me that the owner is taking advantage of the situation because, like, I feel like I remember you talking about the Strand really struggling and then, like, people were buying all these books from the Strand and having it mailed all over the place to try to keep them afloat. Right. And then they're going to be grimy like that? Like, it's a little petty, I feel like. Well, specifically, she's doing this to avoid the workers unionizing and, like... We're also having a problem with that with Amazon trying to prevent workers from unionizing. I'm like, you're putting how much money and effort into preventing people from unionizing when they're probably going to end up costing you not nearly that much money by being in a union. You just have to treat people better and you have a problem with that. And I have a problem with you having a problem with that. And like, I understand that the Strand is supposed to be like iconic and like one of the last bookstores that were in what they used to call like book row in New York. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm willing to give that up if that's what it takes for people to get treated well. It's just a mess. But the last bit of book news that I found for the week, I also think is a bit of a mess. Okay. You had a Tennessee state lawmaker who has reintroduced legislation to make the Holy Bible the official state book. House Joint Resolution 150 is the third attempt by Representative Jerry Sexton to do so. So if he fails, does he strike out and never get to do it again? I don't know. He'd just have one of his friends do it, I'm sure. Yeah. He first introduced the proposal in 2015, but was vetoed by Governor Bill Haslam. Okay. The second time he introduced the measure, the legislative session ended without lawmakers voting on it. So technically they didn't even vote the second time. It's not even worth the time. Yeah. Two other states have tried and failed to get the Bible designated as their state book, and that was Louisiana in 2014 and Mississippi in 2015. Both make complete sense. Louisiana was a little out there for me, but I kind of understand it. Like, they're not as conservative as, like, Georgia and North Carolina, in my opinion. In my opinion, which apparently you think is wrong based on the look on your face. New Orleans, maybe, but the rest of the state, very conservative. That might be what my opinion is based off of. But that's all the book news for the week. A lot of crazy and weird stuff. Sounds like it for the most part. And then I had to do what I've been doing so far this season, which is grabbing bits of tags and putting them into this like made-up tag that I did. Praise hands. To try to fit you, because you're a problem. I'm sorry. (laughs) You need to read more. (laughs) Or we just need a co-host that, like, also reads, like, secretly, like, just a guest host or something. Just slide in for the tag section and back up. Maybe next season. (laughs) So the first question I found was, what is a book that people are always recommending to you? So prior to The Hunger Games, that was the one I heard the most. I feel like a lot of people recommended that to me just because they know that I like a good plot with a little bit of action mixed in. So, like... It makes sense. Yeah. I honestly hear that probably recommended to me the most. I'd love to hear more recommendations. If you're listening, please make recommendations. Don't let my wife choose all my books. I have good recommendations, so I don't know why that's a problem. I'm I'm not concerned. I said usually people recommend science fiction and fantasy books for me, but I was most recently recommended The Great Alone by Kristen Hanna by my sister-in-law. If you know this book, if you know my reading taste, you know that's a poor recommendation. It is an author I would never want to read from because she writes literary fiction, historical fiction, stuff like that. No, thank you. But she liked it. But she likes history stuff more than I do, so I'm not surprised. 
The second is, what's a classic that you like the sound of, but you have never read? Like, it sounds good, but you haven't read it. Classic, huh? I don't know that I really have one. I feel like, so the question is, a classic that I haven't read that I would like to read? No. No? A classic that you like the sound of, but you haven't read. Not necessarily that you want to read it, but it sounds like it could be good. Like, are the Sherlock Holmes stories classics? Technically, yes. Yeah, I I feel like I would enjoy those just because I like mostly all things Sherlock so far, so... As my three copies of Sherlock Holmes stories stare us in the face. Yeah. I have read all of his stories. But for me, I said Sense and Sensibility by Jane Austen. I read Pride and Prejudice. That's the only one I've read. And I don't know. Sense and Sensibility seems like it would be good. But at the same time, I'm not going to read it. Like, I know I'm not. Because I hate classics. (laughs) Also, The Portrait of Dorian Gray, probably, I won't read. But it does sound good. Like, I like the concept because it's kind of got, like, this gothic horror-y side to it. Yeah. But at the same time, I, I don't think I'm going to read that as it stares at me from my shelf as well. Yeah. Do you judge a book by its cover? I don't make a decision on whether I'm going to read something like that, but I like I definitely like nice covers, as you know. Like, I always, when I'm in a bookstore with you, which, gosh, that's been a long time now, always, like, I'm always looking for, like, the cool book covers of things so i said that a cover is likely to pull me in to read the synopsis but i will never buy a book just based on the cover right though i think one time i did and it was because of the author and the cover and it's because the girl who plays jessica jones Kristen ritter wrote a book so her name plus cover got me to buy it plus a 50 percent off coupon for my birthday and i hated that book yeah So, like, now that's never going to happen again. Are you more likely to pick up a book if it has a specific element or theme? Probably. Like, I I don't know if there's, like, a particular theme that would drive me in, but, like... Action. If If it has action, if I'm in the Stop. (laughs) If I'm in the mood to read, like, a certain theme, I feel like I probably would be driven by that to make a decision like that. I said, for me, any dystopian novel, I'll probably pick up. Anything that has found families, I will pick up. I am a sucker for a found family. I'm not a sucker for found families who end up going their separate ways, but you don't find that out till the end of the book anyway. Do you ever buy a book just because another booktuber blogger has talked about it a lot? I haven't personally, but there have been times where, again, we're in the bookstore and I'm like, hey, I've heard of this one. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like they have some motion of uh, sway with me just because I'm like, I've seen this and I've heard about this. Like, we should buy it. And you're like, no, I don't want to read this. And I'm like, oh, okay. I've read up on a book and decided whether or not to buy it based on seeing it on BookTube or blogs. But I never pick it up solely based on that. But the most recent example of this for me is The One by John Mars, which I picked up based on Lala from Books and Lala's recommendation. Yeah. And I rated it 4.5 stars. So, like, there you go. She nailed it on the head. It works. Yeah. Like, there were some parts of it that I think were a little too weird. And I think that's what kept it from being, like, an all-time favorite book ever. But it's definitely a favorite book that I've read this year. It's good. So sometimes they do recommend good books yeah. in the book turnet. Oh gosh. It hurts my brain every time you say that. What do you do when you can't focus on a book? 
Um, I usually will turn on music just because it it's not usually the book that's keeping me from focusing. It's the rest of the world around the book. So like it's, it's really weird because like if I'm struggling to focus on just sentences, having the music in the background forces my brain forward to like just pay attention to what's in front of me. Your brain does not work the same way my brain works. No, it does not. But I, I'm very ADD. So like that has a lot to do with it. So yay me. Yeah. I said if it's really bad, I'll get up and do something else and come back to the book. But for me, that rarely happens. Like, I rarely pick up a book and don't have the ability to focus on it. Right. Usually what ends up happening is I'll pick up the book and I'll read and then suddenly there goes an hour, two hours. I was going to say, I think the only time I ever lose focus is just when I'm like purely exhausted and I'm reading at the end of the night and it's just like, ugh. Sleep sounds so nice. It's part of the reason I don't do night reading anymore. Yeah. Because, like, sometimes I'll just be too tired, but that's not a, a inability to focus. It's just I'm literally falling asleep. Yeah. What is the longest period of time that you can comfortably go without picking up a book? A lot of years, as it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> For a while, it's been a long time. Like, prior to meeting you, I think it well, probably would have been, like, back to, I would say, my sophomore year in college. So, a while ago. Years. Yeah. I couldn't do that now, but I'm just saying, like, in general, like, then, yes, it was... What about now? Well, because of the podcast, it's, like... A day. A day, <laughs> if I'm lucky. Yeah. You know, between working and reading, you know, it's just... And sleeping, it's, like, pretty much my days now. Yeah. So... I said comfortably, question mark, maybe 16 hours? I, I don't even know that you could do that. Um, well, thanks for the vote of confidence. Well, you you have plans to not read this week on a certain day, and I know you're going to read. It's just... Well, here's the thing. A TV show from a book is coming out on Friday, so I want to allot myself the time that I need to watch it. Don't be sad if you watch it without me. I'm going to watch it without you. You're a monster. Okay. I accept that. Make me your villain. Yeah. But definitely by 24 hours, I'm itching to get back to reading. Like, I've had to go take care of my mom this past year for health reasons. And in that household, you do not get time to read. And so, like, I would get to read, like, one chapter a night before I went to bed, after everyone went to sleep. And that was about it. Yeah, and then usually you were texting me and you're like, listen, I'm reading. Stop texting me. (laughs) I'm like, okay. So I can go 24 hours, but I'm definitely uncomfortable by that point. Yeah. You start getting like that twitch in your eye. You're like, I just need to read. How long would you normally spend in a bookstore on a standard visit? I had to edit that because we haven't been in a bookstore for almost a year. But normally, how long? If we're in like a Barnes and Noble, we're usually there maybe 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Usually because we're there for something particular. Right. But like when we go into like mom and pop or like really cool bookstores, like we went into that one old movie theater bookstore in in San Diego. Like that was really cool. The bookstore in San Diego. Yeah. And when we go into stores like that, we could wander around for probably about an hour, maybe a little longer. It just depends on, you know. What there is to see. Yeah. I know that uh, when we were in Rome, we were in there for probably a good 30 or 40 minutes the yeah. one time we went in there. So I'm not shocked by that. Like, I said half an hour, but maybe longer if it's close to the holidays or we're shopping for presents or we're going to like different and unique bookstores. Yeah. The penultimate question is a would you rather. Okay. Would you rather have unlimited money for ebooks or a $5,000 Barnes & Noble gift card? Um, because I'm a digital person, it would probably be unlimited monies for ebooks. Right. 
I said, okay, I know what the correct answer is supposed to be, but the Barnes and Noble gift card probably. I want books that I can hold and like I can keep in my library and I can like look at them on my shelf. Like secretly that old lady who's just like, I just need the book. Like I'll buy ebooks for things that are on sale or really cheap and that I don't know that I'd really care about having a physical copy of. Like right now on my email, I get a deal of the day email every day. And if there's a Christmas book that sounds interesting, I'll go ahead and buy it because A, I'm most likely just going to read it the one time. Yeah. And B, I don't know that I actually would want a physical copy of it anyway, because these are usually books that aren't very highly rated, usually on Goodreads, but like they're Christmassy and like they set the perfect setting and I can read them during the holidays or I can read them during my Christmas in July that I do. So like those are the only ones I really get on ebook nowadays. So for me, it would have to be the other one, even though it doesn't make any financial sense whatsoever. (laughs) Sometimes that's the way it works out. Yeah. And the last question is, what character do you most relate to and why? Like, if we're going to go from a recent book, I feel like I'm kind of a PETA to an extent in the world where, like, I feel like I come across maybe a little, like, I'm nice, too nice to certain people and some people take advantage of it sometimes. Okay. As well, too, like, I'm very good with words like he is. So, like, speaking in front of people or, like, controlling a conversation in the direction I want it to go in is something that's very easy for me. You're manipulative. Well, not, like, in a bad way by any (laughs) means. But, yeah. So, you're a salesman. Yes. But, like, I, for the most part, get along with everybody, kind of like Peter does. Like He's an easygoing guy. You're an easygoing guy. Yeah. I guess that kind of fits the bill for me. I'm trying to think back to, like, something else but like I think that's probably the best fit for me and I don't know if yeah. you agree or disagree but I like, agree. it's pretty spot on. I said for me maybe Luna from Harry Potter. I could see that. I've always been considered like odd or weird and like a specific example of this is that when I went home to take care of my mother this past summer, I ended up finding my old high school yearbook and I found a couple of people had actually written that in my yearbook. Like, I don't remember them doing that in high school, but I found it. Your your high school experience and mine are completely different. Like, Very different, yes. People in California, I don't know if it's, like, just the love and hippie state, but, like, everybody is always like, hope you have a really great summer. It's not like, you're strange. <laughs> well, that was, like, 90% of what people wrote in my yearbook, but there were, like, 10% who were, like, calling me weird and crap. Yeah. So that was fun. Yeah. But I think Hogwarts Luna and High School Me would have been very similar. Yeah. I put, but I really wish I could be more like Inej Gaffa from Six of Crows. Okay. She is like a very tough lady who kicks a lot of butt. Well, I, I feel like you have that in you. Like, I don't think that's something that's like not existent. I, just not to her level. Like, if you read the book, you would know, like, oh, yeah, she's she's a baddie, but, like, she's not as bad as this character. Yeah. So. I also feel like another example is a little too on the nose because, as I discussed this past fall, I read The Inheritance Games by Jennifer Lynn Barnes, and there was a side character in there that we had the same nickname, the same hobbies. We that had the same... super creepy. We had the same personal history. We had the same trauma history. We had the same, like, familial history. And 
For a second, you thought they had written a story about you? It was a little horrifying. Isn't the writer also from... The writer is from the same town that I am from. That's what I thought. She is several years older than me, but we're from the same town in Oklahoma. All of that put together... Is eerie. Is horrifying. You sure they didn't actually write that book about you? I'm sure. And, and like, if we ever get the podcast off the ground well enough to, like, interview authors, we definitely need to have her on the show, just so we can ask. It's a... It's a lot. Yeah. So, like... I relate to this side character very well. Oh, yeah. I don't want to. It's a lot. There's too many dots connected, for sure. I guarantee it's all a coincidence. I guarantee it. I hope it's not, just because that would be (laughs) so exciting. But also scary. It's like, have you been stalking my wife? Probably not. Yeah. But in less weird (laughs) side of the podcast, we'll discuss what I've been reading this past week. And not only did I do a bad thing, but I did a bad thing multiple times. So my rule for this year was supposed to be two books a week and that's it. That's the max I'm allowed to read. But I've technically finished four things this week. Whoopsie daisies. Whoopsie daisies. Though to be fair, the first thing I finished was something that I only had like 50 pages left. Okay. And then one was less than 300 pages. One was 150 pages. So like that's not a lot of pages overall. Yeah. So like it sounds like a whole lot but it's really not as much as it sounds like. Yeah. The first thing I read was Down World by Rebecca Phelps. This is a NetGalley arc, which releases on March 30th. Okay. I ended up reading this three stars. It is a YA sci-fi book. Basically, a girl arrives at her new high school to find that there is an open secret about the portals to different universes that lie in the school's basement. And... It's basically a story about parallel worlds and, like, it happened in a town where the government was doing all these, like, scientific experiments and then shut it all down and it became a high school. But the question was, can these portals be the thing she needs to discover the truth about her brother's death? Interesting. And I really had a problem because we were jumping into a lot of different universes that were affected by decisions that she was making, but I never felt grounded in any one of these realities. And So it was like too much too fast or not enough information? or Not enough information. Okay. And it's also a problem that like the story is just too short for what it's trying to do. And that's a common refrain here from me that books are too short. You need more pages. Right. But it reminded me a little bit of Passenger by Alexandra Bracken, which is a time travel story, not a parallel universe story. But in the time travel story that Alexandra Bracken wrote, I was grounded in each of the settings that you put me in because the character spent enough time that I was able to see the world and there was enough world building in each section. And it felt like in this one, there was world building at the beginning and then nothing for like the multiple universes that you travel through. Yeah. So it felt very... Like there was a dartboard of information you wanted and then they were just pinning him in random places, basically. There just wasn't enough. Yeah. And so that was my problem with the story. I liked the concept and I liked a lot of the things that the author did, but I was not grounded in the story enough. And the characters were making decisions with what I thought wasn't enough information to get to the points that they got to. And so like they get from point A to D, but you never find out what B and C are. Yeah. So that was my main problem with this story. It was just okay. Yeah. But a book that I did not like in any way was The Vacationers by Emma Straub. 
This is a backlist book from 2014 and a gift from my mother-in-law, your mother. This was the one you had the most hope for. Yeah. Because I like stories about, like, rich people and, like, rich people drama because I'm never going to be that. But, like, it's fun to see. (laughs) And it was bad. I rated it two stars. This is an adult literary fiction, which should have been the first warning sign. Big giant red flag. That's definitely not your usual read choice. It really, really is not. Basically, a bunch of rich people go on a summer vacation for two weeks, despite the fact that they all hate each other and are keeping secrets. And then I put, there are no consequences for anyone's actions. So basically, this woman and her husband are having a hard time because he had an affair with an intern at his job. His job found out about it and the board made him leave and retire early. But they had had this on the calendar for months now, so they're gonna go to Spain on their vacation. And they're bringing along their son and his girlfriend and their daughter, both of which are 18 and over, so no young children in this one. And then the mother's best friend and his husband also came on this vacation. So it's like kind of like family and friends vacation. Mm The gay couple is trying to adopt, but they're keeping that a secret. The two main adult figures, the parents, are trying to keep the affair a secret while they decide whether or not to stay married. The brother has gotten into an MLM after the real estate bubble in Florida kind of collapses a little bit. And he owes $155,000 for the MLM. And the daughter is spending the summer trying to work on her Spanish before she goes to college and also wants to have sex with her tutor so she can stop being a virgin. That doesn't sound like a book you like. Right. And, like, if there was more, like, rich people crap going on, like, they were doing, like, these bougie trip things, I would have liked it more, oddly enough. Yeah. But it was just all about how no one liked each other, really, and... Everyone trying to keep their secret and it coming out anyway. And the tutor ends up ghosting the girl after they have sex. But she suddenly doesn't care about that. And she cared the whole time he was ghosting her. But suddenly the day they're leaving, they're like, I don't care anymore. It's fine. And then the guy with $155,000 in debt to an MLM loses his girlfriend because he hooks up with someone else. Doesn't care. Also, does not find a way out of this MLM because his parents are like, you have to take care of this yourself. You got yourself here. The husband doesn't really face any consequences for the affair because they're going to stay married as of the last page of the book. And the gay couple, we found out, do end up getting picked to be the parent for an adopted child. Well, that's good at least. Yeah. So one glimmer of hope. The only thing we learned is let gay people have children. Which is definitely not a book you think my mother would buy you. It's a surprise. (laughs) We also learned that virginity is a construct. Yeah. Which is a good thing anyway, I guess. Yeah. It was a very weird book. And it was only 300 pages. Sounds so strange. It is so odd. And I don't get why people like literary fiction. I, I don't get it. But, like, I just told you the whole plot. So there you go. You don't have to read it anymore. You just save yourself the trouble. And then I reread All Systems Read by Martha Wells. This is a backlist book from 2017 that I'm rereading before the next novella in the series comes out. This one, I originally, the first time I read it, rated 4.25 stars, and I just kept that rating. 
It's an adult sci-fi series. Murderbot is a security unit who just wants to watch their TV shows all day. But thanks to being contracted out by the company, they're forced to make sure the humans that they're contracted to don't do something stupid like get themselves killed. And then things happen. Yeah. I love Murderbot. Basically, Murderbot is every thought and opinion that I have that I'm not allowed to say. And <laughs> so, so it's really great. Sassy AI robot. I love it. That's your jam. It is my jam. Which was good to read after having finished The Vacationers. Yeah. I needed that. Needed to pick me up. And then the last thing I read was something I said I was only going to read like half of. And then I went ahead and just read the whole thing. So, whoops. Whoopsie daisies. So I reread Truth Witch by Susan Dennard. This is a backlist book from 2016. I'm rereading this before the next book in the series comes out this summer. Exciting. This seems like March is going to be my rereading month, and you'll see more of that in what I'm reading next. Okay. But this one, when I first read it, I rated it four stars. I kept that rating. It is an adult fantasy. A lot of people have this shelved as a YA, but the main characters are 18 and older. So at the most, you can call it a new adult. It is not YA. I also think the lack of sex scenes is probably part of the reason people are calling it YA versus adult, but it is an adult. When it changes over to adult, does it just get that smutty that fast? You would hope not, right? But a lot of people base what age range it is based on what kind of content is in there versus the age of the characters. And a lot of times people say that it has to have like a lot of super dark, gory stuff or a lot of sex to be considered adult or new adult, which doesn't make sense. It's supposed to be about the age range of the character and the level you're at to read it. Gotcha. So, but this is new adult or adult. And basically, Safi and Isult are two witches who want to live their lives without the pressures put on them by their families. But things go sideways when they accidentally attempt to con a powerful government official. Now there's a blood witch out to get them and their secrets are no longer safe. Dun, dun, dun. Right. And I was surprised by how much of this I actually remembered because every time I go to talk about the series, I'm like, I know I love it. I just can't remember very much from it. But as I was reading it, I'm like, oh, this is going to happen next and this is going to happen next. That's so good. like I did remember it. I just... And you were Can't excited. access it in my brain. You were excited to read it, clearly, because you powered right through it. Right, yeah. It's very good. I really like this series, so I'm excited for the next book. Yeah. But as for what I plan on reading next, I'm going to start with Bridge of Souls by Victoria Schwab. This is a new release that just came out on March 2nd. It's book three in the Cassidy Blake series, which is a middle grade, about a girl who, upon surviving a near drowning, discovers that she can see ghosts. Awesome. And her best friend is a ghost. Is this the same one where her parents hunt ghosts? Yes. Oh, okay. This becomes a problem when her parents start recording for a ghost hunting TV show. She must follow her parents to all corners of the world, exploring the most haunted locations, which becomes difficult as Cassidy learns about her powers. I can imagine. It's very quick and easy to read when you're not in that age range that it's targeted for. I was going to say it's middle grade. It should be a pretty smooth read. But also it's just, it's still good even as an adult. Yeah. Which I appreciate. And I technically started this one while you were setting up and I already got through like 60 pages. So that was quick. Yeah. 
I plan on trying to read this as fast as possible because, like you said, I'm taking the day off on Friday to watch The One, which is the TV show based off the book by John Mars. Yeah. Which I loved and I've talked about and I won't stop talking about, apparently. That's actually the show that I'm not interested in, so I'm glad you're watching that one without me. I thought we were talking about the Shadow and Bone thing. Oh, I'm watching that without you, too, but that's just next no. month. No. I will. I'll watch it with you later, too. With that one, I would 100% recommend that you watch it through the home theater system because it will be phenomenal acoustically, I would imagine, for the sounds. That's actually a good recommendation, actually. Yeah. And then I'll be reading Mockingjay by Suzanne Collins. It is a backlist from 2010. I'm reading it for the podcast so I can discuss it with you. It's a YA dystopian novel. It's the last in the Hunger Games series. It follows the events of book two and with the country at war explores Pan Am in a way that hasn't been seen before. Which I'm excited. I get to start that today as well. Yeah. And then on Saturday, I will probably try to read like 120-ish pages of King of Scars by Lee Bardugo. This is a backlist from 2019. I'm rereading this before the next book comes out. Like, I'm reading so many things just in preparation for things coming out later in spring and summer. It's book one in the Nikolai duology. It is a YA fantasy, adult fantasy-ish. This is the sixth full-length novel in the Grishaverse, so I won't dive too deeply in on a synopsis here. Basically, the Nikolai duology follows two characters from the two previous series and what has happened after. That sounds exciting. I know that you're a big fan of this series, so... Well, I'm not excited for how book one ended, so I'm kind of just waiting to see for the the last one in the duology. You enjoyed the book, you just don't like that bit at the end. Yeah. Okay. Well, also my favorite character, Nikolai Lansoff, actually goes through a lot of crap that I don't appreciate and he deserves better, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> Got it. As for what you have been reading, like you said, you finished Catching Fire yep. this week by Suzanne Collins. I did. It was also a phenomenal book, and then obviously I will be reading Mockingjay starting this week. So I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts about Catching Fire, because I, the first time I read it, I was very put off about the pacing at first, because you have basically one and a half sections of this book preparing to go into the Hunger Games, and as I was reading it the first time, I was like, there's not going to be enough time for the Hunger Games. I don't get what's happening. And there really wasn't. It, it went by so quick. And that's kind of what I felt. Like, I felt like there was a lot of setup. But, you know, things are changing in Pan Am. And it's kind of important to lay down that information, obviously. Well, especially with the way the book ends, you kind of need everything that came before. And otherwise, the ending doesn't make sense. It makes no sense. Yeah. But where did we end off with you and Catching Fire last time? I don't even remember. They were heading into Pan Am I believe. for all the prep stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. Because we've already done all the tours and all that stuff. But yeah, it... Hmm. Things. So, like, obviously you have all the the victors as the people that are competing. And I think that was... That introduction made it, like... I don't know. I had some anxiety going on for them, to say yeah. the least. And some of the people that were there were just, like, definitely different than the way they acted inside the games itself so yeah. like i'll be honest i did not like finnick at all going into the actual hunger games i think you kind of weren't supposed to yeah and then when it started i was like all right this dude's legit i i felt like the 
clock style world that they had to compete in was pretty intense. Yeah. I feel like it was a lot harsher than the games were the year previous. Yeah. But I feel like it was designed that way to punish the people they were putting in. The only thing I would say is I felt like you didn't get enough time to really explore the other sections. Like you got maybe five of them total and that's pretty much it. I think by the end you knew what seven out of the 12 were. Yeah. But I can't name them off the top of my head. Yeah. But that wasn't the point, and I think that's where a lot of people sort of disagree about Catching Fire as a middle book, because there is something we like to call middle book syndrome, where it's just bridging between two books, yeah. and it's not actually like its own thing. Yeah. I could see where some arguments for that were, but at the same time, I don't agree. I still think it has its own overarching plot. I think it needed to exist, but it does, in a way, kind of bridge between the two. In my opinion, I think because it does such a good job at subverting your expectations, you're led to believe that it ends up being a bridge book. Whereas, in my opinion, I think it was always meant to have this sort of rebellion theme running through the whole thing. Right. And that it was always supposed to be about the rebellion and not going back into the Hunger Games. Like, that was not the point of this book, in my opinion. Yeah. And, like, even whenever they're going into the games and they're, you know, preparing, that whole interview that they do with everyone was an act of rebellion on their own. Oh, yeah. With the way they did their interviews, what they were saying in their interviews. After the interview was over and everyone was holding hands on the stage, which had never been seen before. And that whole act with Senna and the garment that he put her in for the interview. Mm-hmm. Like, that was all an act of rebellion. Even when it was prepping to go into the game. So, in my opinion, it was always supposed to be something other than the games but people thought that it was it should have or it was supposed to be formatted more like the first one so that you could you know games part two but that's not really what it was about no it was about setting up all the pieces in place for the rebellion itself and it did an amazing job of that obviously Cinna's Mockingjay outfit was we'll call it fire it was fire (laughs) He literally had the dress under the dress, basically. Yeah. But also, right after that, you had PETA's interview, where he just played everybody. Like he did in the first one. Just completely played everyone again. And like... As we spoke in the tags earlier, that is a very me thing to do in that instance. Yeah. And so, he was just blowing everyone out of the water again, dropping another bomb on the audience. That they actually secretly got married based off of their district's rules or whatever. Traditions, Traditions, yeah. yeah. And then on top of that, there's a baby. Yeah. And like, this MFer just had them eating out of the palm of his hands and completely played everyone. I love that about PETA, but, like, people don't talk about it enough about PETA. I think my favorite part about that is a lot of the strategy that went into the first one for PETA was, like, Hamish and him kind of working on things. Whereas in this one, like, literally when he comes back from the interview, Hamish is like, holy crap, where did you think that up? Like, he had no idea it was coming. So that was phenomenal. Well, I also like that he turns to Katniss and is like, do I have anything to apologize for? And she's like, no. No. Because that shows a level of growth between the two of them. Oh, and trust, like, huge trust bounds. And so, like, it's less of an issue this time around than it was the first time. Yeah. 
But I think something that Suzanne Collins does really well in this book that you wouldn't really expect given how dark this whole series is supposed to be is there's a lot of humorous things that are happening while they're preparing, while they're training, and all this other stuff is going on. Because you have Finnick with the sugar cube being all flirty and weird and like you're not supposed to like him but once you know him you realize he's just trying to be funny and that's like his sense of humor. And then you have everything going on with Joanna Mason from District 7, which, again, you're not supposed to like her, but at the same time, if you look back on it, it's just, like, kind of funny that she's doing all this stuff to she's get like under Katniss's intense. skin. Yeah, yeah. And you have her oiling up to wrestle with someone, which is hilarious. And then you've got Finnick just, like, being himself during the training. And, like, I think he's a really funny character and I really like him. But then you also have the moment when Katniss decides she's going to hang Seneca Crane. Yeah. When they're supposed to be paying attention to her and giving her some sort of score. Since nobody, again, was paying attention to her and she was like, well, fine. Well, on top of that, you had just had PETA do this thing that he wasn't supposed to do. I forgot what he did. He painted something, right? He painted Rue in the field with the flowers after she had died. And that's why Katniss was so late going back because she wasn't supposed to know what PETA did. So they had to find a way to clean it up and cover it. Yeah. And like, I thought that was really funny that she did that. And like, I know it's supposed to be like a no-no and dangerous and stuff, but like you put her in an arena to get killed twice like what do you expect she's gonna have some outrage about it she might as well be a salty mfr like come on i would be without a doubt and i just feel like despite the fact that she and Peta are doing stuff wrong and bad things i feel like they're having a less hands-on approach than they had in the first and they're kind of more you see like more themselves coming out of the shell it's not just like this is what you need to do to do it right, like, type things. You know, they're not being coached. They're just being themselves. Yeah. But they've also had all this practice, and so that's probably why. Yeah. But another horrifying thing that happened that we didn't talk about is that Darius from District 12 has been pulled in to be one of the servants on District 12's floors, and he becomes an AVOX. That was completely eerie and creepy. Well, and that was kind of the government and specifically President Snow reaching into Katniss's life and going, I can reach you anywhere. Yeah. And that's horrifying. Yeah. Without a doubt. Because that immediately made her go like, well, now I need to be the perfect, like, person more or less. And she's taking all this on herself. Like, she blames herself for everything. And it's like, there are things that work that you don't understand. Right. But obviously she doesn't know that. Yeah. On purpose, too, to be completely honest. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think this also kind of taught me a lot about Haymitch yeah. in this book. And, like, that's kind of why I like this book so much. Because, like, in book one, he's just this drunkard who can barely do his job. But in book two, you see his ruthlessness from the first half when they watched his games. But then, like, his cunning and manipulation and conniving that had to happen in order to prevent Katniss from catching on to what was happening. Because, like, she specifically goes to him and is like, we could rebel, we could do this, and tries to get him on her side about rebelling or trying to find District 13 or anything. And each time he just turns her away like she's some silly girl and she's so stupid. When the whole time he's, like, literally in charge of what's going on revolution-wise. And so 
I thought that brought a lot to light about his character without having to actually show him doing any of that, which I appreciated because that's good yeah. writing. Yeah, I can agree with that. I, I really grew to just be like, wow, hey, Mitch, you're like big baller right now. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, we saw Senna getting beaten for his act of rebellion with the dress. That would be the first book this year that made me actually tear up. Yeah. Yeah, it got me. I mean, Just like... because who doesn't love Cinna? Right? Such an underrated character, in my opinion. And, like, this is seconds before she's going to enter the game. So, like, oh, it, yeah. That's the last was, thing she had to see. It was literally done to mess her up before yeah. she goes into the games, which I feel like should not be allowed. Like, completely... If you're just looking at it from a game perspective, you shouldn't be allowed to interfere with a player like that. Totally, though. Again, another moment in Snow being like, listen, I can literally get you anywhere. Right, right. Even at the the entrance of the games. Like, done. Yeah. That was that was a rough scene. I still am a little bothered by it. You should be a lot bothered by it, but yeah. Uh, the games are interesting at the get-go. Like, she goes swimming towards the actual cornucopia, which is nuts. Well, and like, she's getting involved in the bloodbath for the first time. And I always thought it was really funny how the alliance happened with Fennec and Peta and Katniss. Because it's like, there's Haymitch just putting himself into everything again. Yeah. I like that moment where she's trying to decide whether or not to trust him, but they're also battling it out yeah. at the cornucopia. So You don't really have a, a chance to do that. It's like either yes or no. There's no hesitation. You have to pick one. Like... Right. But then she kind of gets a little confused because she's picked up Finnick and she's picked up... Mags. Mags. Thank yeah. you. And she's got Peta with her. And yet it seems like everyone's constantly trying to make sure Peta's okay. Yeah. Which she doesn't understand the reason for. Yeah. She appreciates it, obviously, after Fennec has to go and give him CPR. But she's after just... After he walks into the freaking shield barrier, more or yeah. less. Yeah. So dumb. I guess if you don't see it and you don't know how to look for it, it's kind of very easy to stumble upon. I mean, to be fair, Katniss only knew about it because of Wyrus and BT talking to her at yeah. the training. It's true. But... The first couple of nights, it just seems like everyone's trying to protect Peta while also having to, like, sacrifice themselves, like with Mags. And you had one of the... I didn't realize, by the way, that Mags was Finnick's mentor. Yeah. Originally, and I was like, no wonder that one hit so close to home. Yeah. And you had one of the Morphlings throw themselves in front of Peta. Which was, I think, the craziest sacrifice. Like, I... The Morphlings were so strange. Like, yeah. Well, they're addicts. They're supposed to be strange. Yeah. And so it was just weird that they would just jump out and protect Peta. Like, they're not part of the Alliance, clearly. Like, they, right. their goal was to hide. And, like, I was so shocked. Yeah. And then you have Joanna come in with... Wyrus and BT. BT. And she was told by Fennec, who's, again, conniving, coming up with plans, plotting. And Hamish had told her, you need to bring these two to Katniss if you want to have an alliance with Katniss. Which makes sense because the reality is that's who she wanted originally to be aligned with. So Yeah. And they had gone through the blood rain. Mm-hmm. And that was horrifying. It just seems like Wyrus is sort of out of it because of that. Yeah. Because she's just saying tick tock. Tick-tock. Yeah. Which, what's funny is, at first it didn't click for me, but then, like, 
after the first couple minutes of reading it, I was like, oh, this is a clock. Yeah, and that's what Gannis says. TikTok, this is a clock. Yeah. They discover some of the weirder things that the jungle has to offer, including the jabber jays that have the screams of their relatives. Like the giant tsunami wave that comes roaring down the mountain, basically. And a couple other things I feel like they discovered. And the lightning. The insects, stuff like that. The burning fog. Yeah. And then they all decide, basically BT decides that the plan is going to be to kill the careers by stringing his wire from the lightning tree down to the ocean. And anyone who's on the beach would get fried as well as anyone in the ocean. Or if that didn't work, obviously that's getting rid of the food supply. So they would have trouble eating as well. But it seems like they're not having trouble eating as their little group because they keep getting bread at certain times, a certain amount. There are certain reasons for this. Yeah. And they go to enact the plan and everyone's got a part to play. Katniss and Peeta are separated for the plan. And that's when Johanna attacks Katniss. So, I had questions about this. Okay. Johanna was supposedly in on the plan, right? Yep. So, like, she did it to protect Katniss from Enorbia, or, uh, and... Enobaria. Enobaria and the other guy. Partially. Yeah. So, she's trying to protect Katniss by having her pretend to be dead. Yeah. But this is after she had already knocked her in the head with a spool of wire and yeah. given her a concussion. Yeah. So that makes you question that. But also she's dug around in Katniss's left arm. Yeah. So she's covered in blood. And so she's trying to get her to pretend to be dead. Right. I don't remember if they tell you the full thing by the end they of They do. Book. It's the tracker that they pull okay, out of yes. her left arm. Yeah. yeah. So they pulled the tracker out of her arm. And that's so that they can rescue her at the end. But before that, Katniss has to figure out a way to use the spool of wire that's left along with one of her arrows. But she realizes she's supposed to attack the arena and that field. With the extra spool of wire that they pulled the opposite direction of which way they were going. Yeah. Yeah. And so she ends up blowing the arena whenever the lightning strikes the tree. Yeah. And she gets pulled out by Hamish and some other people. But she thinks it's the capital. Yeah. There were some intense moments after that. Katniss, once she's finally allowed to leave the medical room, has a syringe with her thinking that she's going to go kill Peta before they can torture him. The sad thing is Peta's not on Yeah, no, Peta's not there. Yeah. And I like one thing that Hamish says at the end. And he's like, so it's you and a syringe against the capital? Yeah. Good thinking, Katniss. Yeah. This is why you don't come up with the plans. Right, yeah. Literally what he says. Yeah. Yeah. And so she finds out that it was Haymitch and his whole group who were in charge of getting them out and doing the rebellion. Which leads to where we're going to be taking over this week. Yes. Which I'm so excited for. Well, I remember you finished the book and you said, I want to read the next one now because it ends with Gail telling Katniss that there is no District 12 anymore. It's been bombed. Firebombed. Yep. So I feel like if you're going to have a complaint about this one, I feel like your complaint has to be something along the lines of pacing. I really wasn't that bothered by it. Like, I I get where people are frustrated by it, Mm -hmm. but I understand the importance of the buildup. Right. It's important because if it doesn't happen, the end of the book isn't as exciting, nor is what's to come. I feel like it was perfectly paced if it ended where it ended. 
Yeah. If, however, it was going to be extended to discuss, like, going through the rest of the games, and you have a victor, and then you have the after interviews and going home, then obviously the pacing would be messed up, considering they don't even enter the game till the third section. Yeah. But, given the way that the book is set up and written and how it closes out, I feel like it's perfectly paced. It just might not feel that way. Yeah. But I am thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly excited to read this next book. What did you rate Catching Fire? Uh, I don't know that I ever rated it. What would you rate Catching Fire? I would say like a 3.5, 3.75, somewhere in that range. Like it was a good book and, and I understand the importance of it. Like yeah. I wouldn't call it 100% a bridge book, but it does help bridge. I feel like what's going to happen. Well, it'd be weird if the second book didn't lead to a third book. Right. Especially knowing that there is a third book. Yeah. So My thing about Mockingjay is that it is so outside of like what you came to expect in the first two books that I don't know how you're gonna feel about it. Yeah. Because a lot of people don't like Mockingjay. I like it. It's actually my favorite of the Hunger Games books, which is weird considering how many people don't like it. We will talk about that next week, about the first bit of the book anyways. Yeah, you're gonna get a little over halfway because of where the stopping point is, so you'll have a decent amount to go through next week yep and then we will catch you for the sports episode next tuesday sadly yeah for your sake for me it's yay yeah in the meantime make sure you guys are checking out all the social media which should be linked in the show notes below and then we will see you next time guys bye bye